0: All right, hallelujah. Well, praise the Lord. Let me go ahead and, uh, and um, let me see here. That's what I was going to do. I want you guys to join together with me and pray. We have a couple people out, and I just felt in the spirit that we needed to do this. So just put your faith with mine and let's pray for those that are sick. In Jesus' name, right now we speak the word of the Lord. And we curse that sickness out of this church. I curse it now. Lord, I claim Your Word over this church as the Shepherd of this church. That health is our portion. That by Your stripes that we are healed. That You took our sicknesses and removed our diseases. Lord, I thank You that You have given us the sozo salvation that we are healed physically, we're healed spiritually, we're healed mentally, We're healed and restored in every aspect. Lord, I thank You. We claim our health now in Jesus' name. And everybody that's a covenant member of this church shall walk in their health and their days shall be long. In the mighty name of Jesus. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. Well, y'all, the Lord's doing some pretty cool things. Had the Gathering this last Sunday. We got a lot of good stuff coming up. Don't miss the next two Sundays. It's going to be good. We're going to be talking about a, a spirit of reformation. It's going to be powerful and amazing. But other than that, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Romans chapter 4. Let's get started. I want to try to get through the whole chapter. I know we just prayed, but let's go ahead and pray. I'm going to pray one more time. Lord, I just ask you to let the Holy Spirit speak through me tonight. We love Your Word. Lord, I know that You keep bringing me back to do this because You've shown me that as we gain Bible knowledge, as we read the Bible verse by verse, Lord, that You're building a solid foundation in our church. You're building a solid foundation in our lives. And through doing this, You're going to fill in any of the gaps that maybe we have in our faith. And so, Lord, I thank You for that. I thank you, Lord, for special services. Those are great and wonderful. And Lord, I thank you for this service that it's not anything less, but we we hold your word in high reverence. And we thank you for it. We're grateful for it. We ask the Holy Spirit to teach us through it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, Romans chapter four. Romans chapter four. So I'm reading in verse. Chapter 3, let me just read 29 so we can kind of get some context. Again, as you read the Bible, you always have to remember that it wasn't split up into different chapters. It was all one letter. So the thoughts don't usually, st- you know, the thought doesn't just stop because the chapter changes. It's all one thing that he's saying. So let's kind of get some context and we'll pick up into chapter 4. Verse 29, after all, is God the God of the Jews only? Isn't he also the God of the Gentiles? Of course he is. There's only one God and He makes people right with Himself by faith, whether they're Jew or Gentiles. Well, then if we emphasize faith, does it mean we can forget about the law? Of course not. In fact, only when we have faith do we truly fulfill the law. So something that we're actually seeing, uh, and we're going to pick right up into this in chapter 4, is that Paul, Paul is really trying to make an appeal to these Jews that reject the gospel, which is basically the message that we receive righteousness because of by God's grace through faith in Jesus Christ, apart from the law. The Jews didn't like that message. So, so the Jews, they wanted to reject the gospel, but they also wanted to reject the Gentiles. So Paul's kind of building this case that God is this, the same God of the Jews was also the God of the Gentiles. And we're about to see how he takes it to the next step uh, in chapter four. So let's read verses one through three. Abraham, Say Abraham. Abraham. You know, Abraham was a pretty big deal to the Jews. Uh, He's a pretty big deal to us as a significant figure in the Bible, but I'm telling y'all, he was Father Abraham to these Jews. So the fact that Paul's dropping Abraham into this, he's about to really kind of stomp on some toes and and shed some light on some things. So he said, Abraham was, humanly speaking, the founder of our Jewish nation. What did he discover about being made right with God? If his good deeds had made him acceptable to God, he would have had something to boast about. But that was not God's way. Verse 3, for the scriptures tell us that Abraham believed God and God counted him as righteous because of his faith. Um, Let me see my note here. So this is the point that Paul is actually trying to make. Again, if you read in chapter 3, if you were here last week, we went over this. But, but Paul, in chapters 1 and chapter 2, he's building this case. He's telling the Gentiles, Gentiles, this is why you need Jesus Christ. Because you guys are pagans, and, and there's so much junk that's going on in your society. And these Jews are standing over here saying, yeah, that's right, you Gentiles stink. We don't like you guys, you're a bunch of dogs. So then he flips it and tells the Jews, this is why you guys need Jesus Christ. And then you see in chapter 3 that Paul builds it up to this climax of he tells them, basically he's painting this picture that all have fallen short of the glorious standard of Christ and we're all in need of a sta- uh, of a Savior. Amen? So he's, he's painting this picture and then he tells them, this is your solution, it is Jesus Christ It's placing your faith in Christ. Uh, and so, we're going to see now that Paul is basically he was dealing with a few issues. These Jews, they were rejecting the Gospel. They were rejecting the Gentiles. But also, they were doing more than that. They were trying to go around and teach these Gentile people that were just getting saved, these Romans and these Greeks, that they weren't really saved because they didn't observe the Jewish law. They weren't really saved because they were circumcised. We've been dealing with with that in the last few chapters. But I like what Paul's doing here because he's bringing Abraham uh, into this. And he says, let's read it one more time. Abraham, humanly speaking, was the founder of the Jewish nation. Every single Jew that was present when Paul was saying this would have said, yes, absolutely, we agree. And he says, what did he discover about being made right with God? And he's going to build this case we're going to see in chapter 4. He says if his good deeds had made him acceptable to God, he would have had something to boast about. But that's not God's way for the scripture. Tell us Abraham believed God and God counted him as righteous because of his faith. So Paul's about to build this case where he's going to show the Jews through the scripture that Abraham was justified by God without being circumcised. And that Abraham was justified by God without the law of Moses. So that was a big deal to them look at this john 8 30, uh, 39 it says our father is abraham they declared no jesus replied if you were really the children of abraham you would follow his example uh, so basically what paul's about to do is we're going to read is he's laying out this model that Abraham was made righteous before God without being circumcised and without obeying the law of Moses. And it's going to cause these Jews' jaws to drop because they're going to say, well, shoot, we got nothing to say then. we got no reason to reject the Gospel and no reason to reject the Gentiles if that's the case. So I'm kind of giving you some context here. Let's read verse 4. It says, When people work, their wages are not a gift but something they... uh, I'm sorry, when people work, their wages are not a gift, but something they have earned. But people are counted as righteous not because of their work, but because of their faith in God who forgives sinners. I want to give you a point here. Write this down if you're taking notes, but I want you to write, grace is unearned. God's grace is unearned. It cannot be earned. I'm going to show you how a lot of people still have this this, uh, works mentality. That we try to earn things with God. Not only when it comes to salvation, because I think a lot of people have a good grasp that you know we can't really earn our salvation. I think most Christians understand that. Well, I prayed, I believed, and I know that I'm saved because I put my faith in Christ. We get that. But then when it comes to the other things we get into this works mentality. And I want to tell you something tonight. If you work for it, then it wasn't grace. Right. Listen to me. If you could earn it by working for it, then it's not grace. It's a wage that's due to you. Right. And I want to tell you that every gift that God gives us is by grace. Say grace. grace. That means that it cannot be earned through our works. Right. So. I'll give you a couple, a, a, a simple definition of what grace is. God's grace is God giving us what we don't deserve. We don't deserve salvation, but yet He gives it to us. Amen. Uh, we don't deserve to be blessed by the Lord, yet He blesses us. We don't deserve to be provided for by the Lord, yet He provides for us. We don't deserve to be healed by God, but yet he, by His stripes we are healed. Grace is when God gives us what we don't deserve. But mercy, a lot of people get grace and mercy confused. Mercy is God not giving us what we do deserve. So grace is when God gives us what we don't deserve. And mercy is Him not giving us what we do deserve. What do I mean by that? Well, we deserve death, right? Right. According to the Bible, in Romans 3, all have fallen short of the glory of God. We all deserve hell. And if you think you don't deserve hell, you you just lied and you're self-righteous. And if you don't repent, then you're going to go to hell because you need to realize that we all deserve hell. But yet He gave us righteousness. He justified us. That's God's mercy. Him actually withholding something from us that we deserve. Because the Bible says the wages of sin is what? Has anybody sinned in your life in this room? Yes? So if you got a job, and the job said, I'm going to pay you $20 an hour, and you work for one hour, the wage that's due to you is? The wage of that one hour is $20. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. So what's actually due to us is death. But yet, instead of death, God gives us justification and righteousness, and that's Him showing. all right By, by Him giving us justification and righteousness, that's His grace. And by Him not giving us death, that's His mercy. Does that make sense to everybody? So something you need to get in your spirit about grace tonight. If you earn it, it's a wage and not a gift. Read verse 4 again. When people work, their wages are not a gift, but something they have earned. Let's read through verse 8. But people are counted as righteous not because of their work, but because of their faith in God who forgives sinners. David also spoke about this when he described the happiness of those who are declared righteous without... Say righteous without working for. it. He said in verse 7, Oh, the joys of those whose disobedience is forgiven... And whose sins are put out of sight. Yes what? Joy for those who record the Lord, uh, whose record the Lord has cleared of sin. So I made this statement, but I'll say it again, now that we're kind of all flowing in the same lane of thought. We understand that when it comes to salvation, but it, the way that we receive everything is by faith through God's grace. So everything is received. Hebrews 11 tells us it's by faith we possess all that God has promised us. Amen. Amen. By faith. By the grace of God. Even think about salvation. So again, a lot of people, they have no problem believing God just for their salvation well yeah the Lord will give me salvation but then when again when it comes into being healed they get into a works mentality right well maybe I'm not healed because I haven't prayed enough and we start telling ourselves well if I if I prayed six hours a day then I would be healed if I were to fast two weeks out of the month then God would begin to prosper me And we think that we do these spiritual things that we actually gain favor with God. I'm not telling you that praying is a bad thing to do. It's a wonderful thing to do. But I want to tell you right now, you can actually pray amiss the Bible talks about. Do you know what praying amiss is? It can be, number one, praying contrary to God's Word Right? So let me give you an example. I use this a lot because it's a, a basic one a lot of people understand. You can pray all day long. Lord, I want you to show me the date and the time that Jesus Christ is going to come back in a second coming. You're praying amiss because the Bible says that no man knows the date or the time, not even the Son himself. So that's, that's, you're praying amiss. You'll never receive an answer to that prayer. And if you claim that you do receive an answer to that prayer, you're, you're, you're speaking by a false spirit because the Word of God and the Spirit of God never contradict one another. Uh, but another way that I believe that you can pray amiss is the Bible actually talks about... He's, uh, I believe it's in the book of James, and this is just right out of my spirit, but he talks about how you know, you you kill and you deceive and you do all these things because you're jealous of what somebody else has. Yet he says, yet you don't have those things because you don't ask God for them. And then he says, yet even when you do ask God for them, you don't receive them because your motives are not pure. You know, so so there's also a way that we can pray amiss when we're praying from the wrong spirit. We're praying from the wrong motive we're praying from the wrong place of understanding and when we're praying and we're trying to earn something with God as I know a lot of people uh, and I love what T L Osborne said but I know a lot of ministers that teach that if to a young minister like me I'm a young man I'm 26 there's there's some ministers that if I were to go ask them today how do I increase the anointing you know what they would tell me you need to fast two times a week you need to be spending at least three hours a day in prayer you need to be doing those things and let me say this again it's not that those things are bad but scripturally I can't see it because what you're saying is if I do those things then all of a sudden now it's a wage I've worked for it and now the anointing is due to me because I've done the work I've put in the time and now that's the wage that's due to me that's not God's grace And so it's actually not the anointing, the Spirit of God. Does that make sense to everybody? You know, so it's not saying you don't pray and you don't fast, but you have to do it from the right heart, from the right place of understanding. I pray because I am in fellowship with God. I'm not praying constantly trying to get in fellowship with God. I've been granted fellowship with God in Christ Jesus I can come boldly before the throne of grace because of the blood of Jesus Christ has cleansed me of my sin and now I come boldly before the throne into his presence so now I get to have fellowship with my father and I received it by faith because of his grace and now I get to pray from a place of fellowship not trying to earn something as a wage does that make sense to everybody And so again, when it comes to healing, when it comes to wholeness, when it comes to prosperity, we start getting into this works mindset. We're trying to work to get God to give us these things. Y'all, I want to tell you, we need to do it. Sorry about that. Let me put this back on. You know... People even do it when it comes to their giving Um, again, there's no, there's no doubt about it that if you read the Bible, the Bible teaches that when we give according to the word of God, it will be multiplied, pressed down, shaken together and returned back to us. He's, Jesus said it in Luke six thirty-eight. Paul said it in 2 Corinthians 9. You look at the principle of the tithe. But I want to tell you too, you can actually get into a wrong spirit even when giving to the Lord. When you, when you begin to give from a place of, well Lord, I gave you $100 and now that was the transaction, that was the work, and now there's a wage that's due to me. You're stepping completely outside of God's grace. So is it good to give? Absolutely, it's good to give, but it actually has to come from a heart. Like 2 Corinthians 9 says, the Lord loves a cheerful giver who doesn't give due to pressure or due to necessity, but the Lord loves a cheer. So it's just a place of, and that's why even in our offerings, we've been talking about honor, a place of thankfulness. Like, Lord, I don't have to beg you to multiply my seed. Your word said that you'd multiply my seed. I'm giving this to you, not because I'm trying to make a transaction, because I'm thankful that you've brought this into my house. And so I honor you. I thank you for it. I recognize you in it. And I give it unto you as an action of my love for you, my worship to you, my thankfulness to you. That's That's why Abraham tithed to Melchizedek. So, When people work, their wages are not a gift, but something they've earned. But people are counted as righteous, not because of their work, but because of their faith in God who forgives sinners. You know, something you could write down as well is this. God's currency is faith. God's currency is faith. Do you want to know how to make a transaction in heaven? You know, if you were to go to Brookshire Brothers and you want to buy a gallon of sweet tea, right? You have American currency. You put it on the table and that's the exchange. I'll give you this. You give me that. God's currency is faith. It's not works. It's faith. I'll show it to you. Mark eleven twenty four. 24. One of my favorite verses. It was Kenneth Hagin's, you know, def- I would say his favorite verse in the Bible. He taught about it more than anything. Jesus said, I tell you, you can pray for anything. I want you to say anything. If you look at the Greek word used here for anything, it's the word pas, P-A-S. It means all things, everything. Anything that's in the universe, this is what that means. You can pray for all things, Jesus said. There's not one thing that exists that you can't ask Me for, Jesus said. Look at this. And if you believe, say believe, that you received it, it will be yours. Say it will, will. not it might, might. not maybe, it will be yours. Jesus didn't say, I tell you, you can pray for anything. And if you feed a hundred orphans, it will be yours. You can pray for anything and as long as you fast for two weeks, then it'll be yours. Or you can pray for anything and as long as you spend eight hours in prayer, it will be yours. No, he said you can pray for anything and if you believe that you've received it, it will be yours. Do you see why? How you see now how a lot of Christians get into this works mentality? You know what's so funny is that there's people that will spend their whole life And never receive the promises of God because they're constant they're just trying to earn it as a wage. And they're gonna spend their whole stinking life long and realize that that our our good deeds are as filthy rags under the Lord, the Bible says. So what the, the the reality is it's not that you know God just thinks everything we do is isn't good enough. It's not anything like that. But what the Bible teaches is we do things on the earth that other people look at and say, wow, that's really good. Wow, that's really impressive. Wow, that's really amazing. And you know what? It really is. But in comparison to the glory of God, it's so insignificant. Can I tell you that I could spend my life here on this earth doing uh, these amazing, wonderful things, and in comparison to His glory, it's so insignificant. And it's not that God's not proud of me or that God's not pleased when we do good things. But there's people that will spend their entire lives trying to earn this thing with the Lord and never receive any of the promises of God because they never learned how to receive it by faith. You know what God's grace means? It means that you can have it right now. You know that what Jesus taught were the things of God. Faith is, say, faith is. That's what uh, Hebrews 12, or Hebrews 11.1 1. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not yet seen. I love that Brother Hagen actually taught that. He brought that revelation out. Faith is. It's not it was. It's not it's going to be. Faith is right now. That means faith is present. Did y'all know that hope is in the future? Right? There's a lot of people, even when it comes to the things of... well. I hope that I'm healed. Well, I want to tell you, you're not going to ever be healed by hope. Hope does not allow you to possess the promises of God. The Bible says that by faith, we possess the promises of God. And so what you do is, instead of having faith, which is now, you have hope which is tomorrow and then when you get into tomorrow all you have is hope which is in tomorrow so then you get into tomorrow and all you have is hope which is in tomorrow and then you spend your whole life in hope and you never receive the promise of god because you never stepped into faith which is now i'll even tell you the bible makes the separation first corinthians 13 a lot of you probably have a poster of it on your wall these three things shall remain forever faith hope so the Bible says, that obviously, there's a difference between faith and hope. We think they're the same thing. They're not the same thing. What did Jesus tell the woman with the issue of blood? Your hope has made you well. Your faith has made you well. So, God's currency is Faith. I love, let's read verse 8 and let's keep reading. So it says, yes, what joy for those whose record or, uh, whose record, the Lord has cleared of sin. A couple things I want to pull out of verse 8. Again, this is something probably a lot of you know, but I love the new King James. Put that up on the screen for me. Whose record the Lord has. Who has the new King James in here? Anybody? Blessed is the man whom the Lord shall not impute sin can y'all say impute so the record is clear that's basically what impute means i just i just made this observation and i loved it uh but impute means to bring into account you know that all the transactions it's talking about sin all the transactions that we've made it says, blessed is the man whom the Lord shall not impute. That means that the Lord will not bring our sin into account. Right. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. That's the most amazing thing is that when you get born again, God does not bring your past into account anymore. I want to tell you, not only when you get born again, but even if you're a believer and you have sinned, and I want to say this as well. The Bible does not teach that believers are to sin. But the Bible says, if we sin, we have a high priest. Say, if. That's how we should live our lives. Not planning on sinning, because a lot of believers talk like that. Well, I'm just a sinner saved by grace you got to stop calling yourself a sinner because the Bible says from the fruit of your mouth you shall be filled. If you just always identify as a sinner, you're going to always sin and sin and sin. You need to say I was a sinner, but now I'm a saint because I've been saved by grace. Now I consider myself dead to the power of sin and alive in Christ Jesus. It's no longer I who live, but it's Christ who lives on the inside of me. In 1 John 4:17, even as Christ is, so am I on the earth. I was reading in uh 1 John and 2 John and it talks about how the children of God will live like Jesus on this earth. Live like Jesus. Didn't Jesus say that be holy for I am holy? I mean so the believers not to sin. But here's the good news. If you do sin, there is a high priest that that you can ask for forgiveness, and He'll forgive your sin. But I want to say this as well, and some people may not agree with me, but you know what? It's what I believe, and I believe the Bible teaches it. The only sin that's forgiven is repented of sin. You can't be forgiven of sin that you don't repent of. You cannot be forgiven of sin that you do not repent of. Uh, Even in the... Is it in James chapter 2? Bring the sick to the elders of the church and their prayer offered in faith with the anointing of oil shall, shall raise them up? Is it James 5? Somebody look it up for me. Read it for me, Brother Chance. Okay. You, okay. He's got it on the screen. It says... So it says in the prayer of faith. Oh, you switched me. James five fourteen. The prayer of faith will save the sick, and the Lord was raised him up. And if he has committed sins, he shall be forgiven. Uh, look around and put it in the in the NLT. It talks about actually confess your sins one to another. Yep. If the Lord will make you well, if you've committed any sins, you'll be forgiven. What was somebody saying? Yeah, and if you've committed any sins, you will be forgiven. And so, even as you study that out, you'll see that there's actually an action of if you commit sin, you go and you confess that sin. You, you, you repent of that sin. And what will happen? The Lord's faithful and just. He will forgive you if you repent. But there's a big if you repent. Uh, I don't believe a believer should die and repented of sin. Well, then people will say, what if I die and I'm in sin and I didn't even know it? Well, that's why you got to have the Holy Ghost. Because I want to tell you, if if you have the Holy Spirit and you're in sin, you know that you're in sin. It's just true. You're like, how does that make sense? It's a spiritual thing. If it doesn't make sense, let's get you born again and you'll get it. Okay, now it makes sense. If you have the Holy Spirit, there's no... I don't know if there's any sin. Like You know when something's not right because the Holy Ghost tells you. And you'll actually have to live your life constantly grieving the Holy Spirit where you know what you're doing is wrong and you know what's not right and you feel grieved in your spirit by what you're doing and and you live in this conflict within yourself where it's like, "I, I know what I'm doing isn't right and I'm feeling like I need to get rid of this thing and... I want to tell you, if you have the Holy Spirit, you'll know if you're in sin. Amen. Amen. Um, So this is interesting, too, in Romans chapter four. So he says in verse six, David also spoke of this when he described, say David, the happiness of those who declared righteous without working for it. Uh, Paul was actually quoting from Psalms 32. I want you to just make the reference of this. But anyways, I say that because what Paul's trying to do here is he's proving this point to these Jews that we're going to see in just a moment. First, he's talking about Abraham. And he's like, Abraham, was he made righteous before he was circumcised or after he was circumcised? He's about to say it in just a moment. They say, well, it was was before he was circumcised. Was Abraham made righteous before the law of Moses or after the law of Moses? Well, it was before the law of Moses. So he's talking about Abraham, then he drops another name, David. David was another significant figure. Even the Jews today, not Messianic Jews, still consider David the true king. He's King David to them. Uh, And so, when you read Psalms 32, it actually talks about how David received righteousness from God the same way Abraham did. Which he was the one that said, the joys of those whose disobedience is forgiven and whose sins are put out of sight. Yes, what joy for those whose record the Lord has cleared of sin. When you read that whole chapter, he talks about how he confessed his sins to the Lord, and by faith, the Lord forgave him of his sins. So Paul was actually showing these Jews who didn't want to receive the gospel and didn't want to receive the Gentiles that even their king and their patriarchs receive righteousness the way that he was telling them they had to receive righteousness, which was by faith. Verse 11. I'm sorry, verse 9. Now, is this blessing only for the Jews or is it also for the uncircumcised Gentiles? Well, we've been saying that Abraham was counted as righteous uh, by God because of his faith. But how did this happen? Was he counted as righteous only after he was circumcised, or was it before he was circumcised? Clearly, God accepted Abraham before, say before, he was circumcised. So that's everything that we just said wrapped into a nutshell. Now, as you read that for the rest of your life, you'll understand the context of what Paul's talking about. Verse 11. Let's get into this. It says circumcision was a sign that Abraham had all uh, circumcision was a sign that Abraham already had faith and that God had already accepted him and declared him to be righteous even before he was circumcised. So Abraham is the spiritual father of those who have, who have faith but have not been circumcised. They are counted as righteous because of their faith. Let me break some of this down. So it says, circumcision was a sign. Can you say a sign? It says that it was a sign that he already had faith and God had already accepted him. So circumcision wasn't what justified Abraham. It was his faith. But his obedience to God in circumcision was the outward expression of his faith. So what does all that mean? If that's confusing you, let me simplify it even more. What is Paul saying here? Faith is proved by action. Faith is proved by action. So Paul was kind of saying the same thing that I'm saying. He was telling these Jews, is there anything wrong with you being circumcised? No. Is there anything wrong with you wanting to do these good things for the Lord? You know, that he even wrote in the law that are still good things. Some of them are good things. Is it okay? Yeah, it's okay. He said, but you do it as a sign that you've already been made right with God. Out of your love for God, you're not doing it trying to earn your right standing with God. Faith is proved by your action. Look at this. So if there is no action, then it's not true faith. Turn to James chapter 2, 14 through 26. James chapter 2, 14-26. So the Bible actually teaches that if there is no action, then it's not true faith. Guys, you're going to see this. But there's a lot of Christians that say, well, I have faith. I believe. They'll say it all day long. But what the Bible says is that if what they believe doesn't cause action in their life, then they don't really believe what they say they believe. You know, if you read in 1 John and 2 John, it says, those who love God obey His commandments. Jesus said, if you love Me, you'll do what I say. Exactly. And so... I'm trying to put this into terms. Okay, let's think about, let's think about Christians. You know, there's a lot of Christians that, uh, and I'm not talking about pure-hearted. And again, you can't judge a person's heart. The Lord can unless it's through the discernment of the Holy Spirit. Then you can know a person's thought thoughts. Jesus was able to do that. He had words of wisdom and words of knowledge and uh, uh, discerning of spirits. That was that's gifts of the Spirit. But I've met people. They're not interested in the Lord. They don't go to church, and they say when you approach them, "Do you you know? Do you know Jesus?" You're trying to win a a lost soul. Yeah, I know Jesus. Oh, that's great. What church you plugged into? I don't go to church. Why? Well, you don't have to go to church to be a Christian. And, And guys, I want to tell you, they're not people you can discern by the Spirit. These aren't people that are telling you that because. They don't have a good church or you know in 2021 there's not churches that are preaching faith none of those reasons they're saying it from a they're saying it from a place of trying to just justify something in their life like they're truly not interested in god and they're just using that as an excuse you don't have to go to church to be a christian but here's the point if you really love the lord you'll love his word and if you really love his word then you'll see where the Lord has instructed us to do these things in His Word. So you just kind of tie it all together. You cannot say that you have faith. Say that you love God. Say that you're interested in the things of God and want nothing to do with other believers and want nothing to do with His house and want nothing to do with the body of Christ. You you can't do that. It doesn't work. Because if, if, if what you say isn't followed up by action, then you don't really believe what you say. That's what the Bible teaches. This is James 2, 14-16. It says, What good is it, dear brothers and sisters, if you say you have faith, but you don't show it by your actions? Can that kind of faith save anyone? Think about that. He's talking about even salvation kind of faith. How many people say, well, I have faith, you know, oh, I believe in the Lord Jesus. I have faith. But he says, but you don't show... But they say that Jesus Christ is their Lord, but there's not a single action in their life that proves that, Jesus, that they really believe that Jesus Christ is their Lord and Savior. He says, can that kind of faith save anyone? Suppose you see a brother and sister who has no food or clothing and you say goodbye, have a good day, stay warm and eat well. But then you don't give that person any food or clothing. What good does that do? You see, faith by itself isn't enough. Unless it produces good works or good deeds, it's dead and useless. Now, some may argue some people have faith and other have good deeds but I say how can you show me your faith if you don't have good deeds that's my statement faith is proved by action he said I will show you my faith by my good deeds you say you have faith for you believe that there's one God right how many times have you heard that well I know I'm saved I believe that that, that Jesus is the Lord and I prayed that prayer that's great Paul said you believe there's one God good for you even the demons believe this and they tremble in terror." James said this I'm sorry how foolish can't you see that faith without good deeds is useless y'all I'm going to heaven because I believe Jesus Christ is the Lord and Savior well the demons believe that Jesus Christ is the Lord and Savior in fact they know that Jesus Christ is the Lord and Savior and can I tell you they're not going to heaven that's a fact So his point is if it's not producing action in your life, then it's not true faith. You don't really believe it. You're just... uh, Dr. Cho wrote a book. Young Hee Cho, he had the largest church in the world until a few years ago, Bishop David Oedepo surpassed him. Uh, He had a church in South Korea and he wrote a book called The Fourth Dimension. And he talked about this concept called mentally ascending. What he meant by mental ascent was that we read the Word, we see something in the Word of God, and we agree with it in our head, like I know that that's true, but we don't really believe it in our heart. A lot of people have mentally ascended to the fact that Jesus Christ is the Lord and Savior. They don't believe that Buddha's the God or Allah is the God or Muhammad's the God. They believe that Jesus is, but they don't really believe it down on the inside of them, that Jesus Christ is the Lord and Savior, and that He's actually coming back again, and that we have a responsibility in this life to do what He's called us to do and to do what He said in His word. They've mentally ascended, but they don't have faith in their heart. You know, there's difference between thinking something's true in your head and believing in your heart. That was a significant change. Uh, Are y'all still with me? The Bible doesn't say believe in your head. It says believe in your heart and confess with your mouth. Believe, say my heart. You know, and that's honestly, you know, we even use terms in the world. What? Okay, your head's telling you this, but what's your heart telling you? You ever heard people say that? What do you feel down in your heart? Because there's a difference between just like I know I should do it in my head, but that's not enough. I have to know it in my heart. I have to know God in my heart. Hey guys, I can go, I'd be so bold to say, you can't know God in your heart by somebody else preaching to you once a week, and then you go live your own life and you have no fellowship with God, and then you come to church and you want somebody to just spoon feed you a message, and then you, I want to tell you right now, all you'll get is knowledge thrown at you that you can mentally ascend to, but you'll never know God in your heart. You know, the only person that can bring you into fellowship with God in your heart, you know who that person is? It's not your pastor. It's not the prophet. It's not the evangelist or the teacher or the apostle. There's one person that can bring you into fellowship with God in your heart, and it's you and nobody else. So, uh, don't you, don't you remember that our ancestor Abraham, look, he's talking about Abraham, the same thing Paul was talking about, was shown to be right with God by his actions when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see, his faith and his actions worked together. His actions made his faith complete. That's why, in order for faith to even work, say, action makes faith complete. Okay, so faith without action is dead it doesn't work right so think about it put it in this and even in the context of receiving the promises of God well I believe I'm healed I can read that word and I know that the word says that that's great but that faith can't actually go to work and produce anything until it's accompanied by action it's not enough to just say I'm healed I got to act on the fact that I'm healed well, you know what, Lord? I'm going to believe God that I'm healed today and that I, I, you got flu symptoms, whatever. Okay, that's great. Confess it in your mouth. Believe it. And then get your butt out of bed and act on the Word of God. Because faith without action is dead and it cannot even go to work and begin to produce anything until it's accompanied by action. See, the Bible says that. His actions made his faith complete. So act faith without action... Is incomplete. And so it happened just as the scriptures say, Abraham believed God and God counted him as righteous because of his faith. He was even called a friend of God. So you see, we're not shown to be right with God by what we do. I'm sorry. We are shown to be right with God by what we do, not by faith alone. So what he means by that is not getting into just a works thing. Again, it's true faith has action. Does that make sense to everybody? Anybody confused about that? No. no? Okay. Good. So, let's go back to uh, Romans 4.12. I'm going to bring out the Dake Annotated Reference Bible, and I want to read something out of this for you. In Romans 4.12 Tell you if you don't have one of these and you want a really solid Bible study tool, you need to get one of these. Finnis Dake, I mean, man, he's a. It's not a commentary thing. I mean, it, it kind of is, but it's not. And he was a full gospel, Pentecostal type believer that I, people said that he had. I don't know if they said he had the entire Bible or the New Testament completely memorized. With the entire Bible, he had the entire Bible completely memorized. Can you imagine that? So his revelation of when he would read a scripture, you'll see if you get if you buy you a Dake Bible, uh, and they're a little bit they're they're about a hundred bucks to get a decent one, but uh, you'll see that as as a scripture is read. There's a little reference and there's like 25 other scriptures that just that they tie together. And it's so amazing because as you begin to study, you'll start tying scriptures into things and connecting dots that you've never made in your entire life because he had the Bible memorized. So he could ro- read Romans 10, 17 faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God and then tie scriptures in from the Old Testament to the New Testament to, you know, all over the place that tie together with that verse. It's so awesome. Um, uh, So anyways, let me read this. 4.12 I wrote in my notes that we needed to read the date. Read note on Romans 4.12 and date. Justification by faith first. Okay, so let's just read it. It says, He is also the father of the Jews who walked in his steps and who seeks for justification by faith alone. The covenant was made with Abraham while he was a Gentile. He became the father of the Gentiles in the faith. The Jews were later made partakers of the covenant. But originally, look at this, originally justification by faith belonged to the Gentiles. And then later the Jews were brought into it. That's just an interesting Bible fact to think about that Paul was teaching these Jews, did you know that your father Abraham was actually a Gentile before, he was, before circumcision then he became what, what, what makes us Jews? It was the, uh, the ceremony of circumcision. That's what made them Jews. You had to be circumcised to be a Jew. You could be a Gentile and follow the law, but you couldn't really step into being adopted as a Jew until you were circumcised. And so he's proving that Abraham was a Gentile when God made him righteous. He was a man without circumcision. So think about that. These Jews that thought these Gentiles were a bunch of dogs, <laughs> that they, they, Paul proved to them by the Scripture that, that Abraham was a Gentile before he ever even had the circumcision. They were sitting there just getting their minds blown like, man, well, we're a bunch of self-righteous Pharisees and we were wrong. It says, when the Gospel came, they laid hold on it as their original right to be saved. The Jews must come under the Abrahamic covenant in which the Gentiles were originally included. This conclusion of Paul must have confounded the Jews. I just thought that was an interesting note for that verse. Romans 4.12 So justification by faith first belonged to to the Gentiles. It belonged to the Gentiles first, then the Jews were brought into it. That's interesting. Verse 12 It says, Abraham is also the spiritual father of those who have been circumcised. But only if they have the same kind of faith Abraham had before he was circumcised. Verse 13, clearly God's promise to give the whole earth to Abraham and his descendants was not based on obedience to God's law, but on a right relationship with God that comes by faith. Here's another note So it says, God's promise to give the whole earth to Abraham and his descendants. The righteous shall possess the earth. There's many verses that God promised the entire earth and the nations to Abraham and his descendants. And it says it was not based on obedience to God's law, but on a right relationship with God that comes by faith. So the note to this is the promise of heirship did not come through the law, but by the Abrahamic covenant through faith. Hallelujah. Y'all, there, the reason I wrote that is I don't know if we're going to get into all of it, but do you know that the believer has a right a Bible right to land ownership? That's right. Do you know that? Yeah. The, bi- the believer has a Bible covenant right to land ownership. If you don't own land, you need to start setting your faith for the Lord to deliver you land. Because that's a part of the Abrahamic covenant that we haven't got to this yet. But you go ahead and make a note and read Galatians chapter three that talks about how we have been brought into the covenant that God made with Abraham. We've received the blessing of Abraham, Galatians chapter three talks about. And so this was part of that blessing of Abraham uh, that God gave a promise to give the whole earth to Abraham and his descendants. Well, we just read in Romans 3 that Abraham's descendants, his true descendants, it's not talking about the Jews that were going to come out of the 12 tribes of Israel. He says the true children of Abraham are those whose hearts have been made right with God by faith. So what am I trying to say? That, say, that's me. Say, that means I'm actually a child of Abraham. So, that actually means that God has given me a promise to give the earth to me as a descendant of Abraham. Amen. Guys, you know that that promise to actually delivered this property to us? I'll just tell you quickly, but one thing that we did is this church belonged to another church in Lufkin. And, uh, you know, I'm not going to go into the whole story of how we came into it and what the Lord did, but basically some things began to divide us where they didn't want us preaching about healing. They didn't want us teaching people about the blessing of the Lord. They didn't... A lot of things. There was just an attack on God's Word. And so, they weren't interested in this building and they said, you know what? We're probably going to just... If you guys... If we kick you out of here, we're going to shut it down and sell it to somebody else. We'll sell it to a gas station and it's commercial property and they'll throw another gas station up here. Well... I mean, the Lord just wouldn't allow us to do that. So they threw this astronomical price up at us. Uh, You know, they told us, well, this is commercial property. It's right off the highway. So they said, you're going to be looking at paying 400 grand, not because this facility is worth it, but because of the property that it sits on right off of 69, it's classified as commercial property. Guys, I want to tell you, whenever me and my wife became the pastors of this church, we had $800 in our church account. And the first week that we were here, the pastor before me had left a toilet running in the back for over a month and a half and had racked up an $870 water bill. All we had was $800. Okay, so week one I was thrown into, we got to live by faith. The righteous shall live by faith. I remember reaching out to the church that we were under, saying, hey, this this is what happened, you know, and this was before I really believed in these things, because I was never taught these things that I'm teaching you. Um, They were basically like, figure it out. So we had to believe God. Okay, Lord, we're negative seventy dollars in the bank account. (laughs) So anyways, you can imagine a short time later when they're throwing these numbers at us, like four hundred thousand dollars and this ridiculous amount of money, we didn't have anything anything close to that. We probably had a few thousand dollars in our account at that point because the Lord did begin to bless us. Uh, but I want to tell you, we stood on the Word of God. The righteous shall possess the land. God told Joshua, He said, everywhere that your footsteps, you'll be on land that I've promised to give you. You'll be on land that I've already given to you. You know, what we begin to do is... We knew the Lord had called us here. We began to come together. Some of us, Brother James was here. I believe Tristan was here. And we would actually pray and begin to stomp our feet and say, Lord, You said that You would give us the land that our foot steps on. Lord, that the righteous shall possess the earth. Lord, we claim this land. We, we pray, we believe You're going to deliver it into our possession. And so supernaturally, I'm not going to go into the whole story, but this land, the price dropped from uh, $400,000, we ended up paying $98,000 for this commercial piece of property. But I want to tell you, not only did we pay $98,000, they came to us and said, we'll save you the land, but uh, you have to have the money by the end of the month. And, and basically, they were saying, there's no way that you guys are going to go to a, a, a bank and get a loan. You, you, know, you have nothing to even be able to do that. And so the Lord actually used a member of this church to come forward that had a $100,000 check and we were able to purchase this property with no loan from the bank. He ended up giving us about $25,000 of it as an offering and then we made a deal with him. We would pay him back the other remaining amount at 0% interest. But I mean, it was just amazing how we stood on the Word of God and God delivered as He promised in His Word. The righteous shall possess the land. And so there's a promise for us to be land owners. Amen. Y'all, and I want to tell you right now, we're moving into a time. I wasn't planning on doing anything prophetic tonight, but I really do. We're, We're moving into a time where you are going to need independence. You need to start setting your faith right now. Because you're gonna, we're going to be coming into a time, I believe, in our lifetime, if Christ doesn't return sooner, where you're going to need to be raising your own cattle. You're going to be needing to raise your own beef. You're going to be needing to ra- grow your own vegetables. Because we're moving into a place where the government is trying to use money to control people. And as long as you need things from them, they have you exactly where they want you. Because a person, just by... Human nature will not bite the hand that feeds them. So, hey, we want to pass all this ridiculous stuff and mandate vaccines and mandate all these things and force you to do these things. Well, we don't want to do it. Okay, well, you can't shop at the grocery store unless you have a vaccine passport. Y'all, I'm telling you, a year ago, two years ago, we would have said, that's crazy. There's no way that would ever happen in the United States of America. If you even knew the legislation that's being thrown around by the day that they are trying to pass, but have not been successful, your eyes would be open to this. This is a reality. That there's people in government office that are hell-bent on these things, that are a part of an antichrist system. And I'll also tell you as well, you can't read the Bible. Revelation 13 talks about that the Antichrist will come and that he will require everyone, great and small, rich or poor, slave or free, to be given a mark in their right hand or in their forehead in which they can buy or sell nothing without that mark. And so, I believe that the church will be raptured before that takes place. For several reasons. But let me say this, I believe that the church will live in a season where you're going to see that system at work. Because the Bible says that the Antichrist is not only a person, but it says uh, it's in 1 John. Lord, help me with this. 1 John chapter 2, I believe. Chapter 3 Okay, it's chapter 2, verse 18. Dear children, the last hour is here. You have heard that the Antichrist is coming. And already many such Antichrists have appeared. From this we know that the last hour has come. These people have left our churches but were never really belong with us. Otherwise they would have stayed. When they left they proved that they did not belong to us. But you're not like that, for the Holy One is giving you the Spirit. And, all, and you all know the truth. So I'm writing because you don't know the truth, but because you know the differences between truth and lies. That's not the verse. Let me continue to read this for a second. What verse is that? Is it 4-3? Yeah, yep. First John 4-3 it says, But if someone claims to be a prophet and does not acknowledge the truth about Jesus, that person is not from God. Such a person has the Spirit, say the Spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard is coming into the world and indeed is all ready here so again look at verse chapter 2 verse 18 you have heard the Antichrist is coming and many such Antichrists have already appeared and then in chapter 4 verse 3 it says they have the spirit of the Antichrist which you heard is coming but indeed is already here my whole point in even finding those two verses because the Lord just led in this direction is the Bible not only teaches us in Revelation that there will be a person known as the Antichrist. But John wrote this thousands of years ago. Coming up on almost 2,000 years ago. And he said, not only was the Antichrist going to come as a person, but there's already Antichrists that have come. Or another way to say, as he said in in chapter 4, verse 3, the Spirit, which is already here. So guys, I want to tell you, the Spirit of the Antichrist is already here. And He's at work. And our government, exactly, trying to do what? Trying to set the stage for what the Bible depicts in the book of Revelation. Go home and do some research on the United Nations or Agenda 21. These crazy things that they're trying to bring us into. I'm telling you right now, there's high officials that have meetings that they'll go to these little leaders' summit things and and there's somebody that's that's pulling the strings telling Australia, telling Europe, telling China, telling the United States, "Hey, we need to lock telling Canada, we need to lock these things down. We need to gain control over these people." And I'm so thankful because we're a covenant people that it has not succeeded in the United States of America. I really believe the reason we haven't even seen this happen as much in America, although it's been bad, it's not as bad as Canada, and it's dang sure not as bad as Australia, uh, because we are a covenant nation. You know, if you, if you translate the United States, somebody translated the United States of America into Hebrew. I don't know how they did that, but it means the land of the covenant. This is a covenant nation. There's two nations that are covenant nations. Israel. Israel was birthed from a covenant that God made with man. That birthed Israel. United States was birthed from a covenant that man made with God. We birthed this nation, that flag right there, and appealed to heaven. That's a flag that George Washington flew right there on the left in the Revolutionary War. He flew that flag before the United States of America flag existed. That's the flag that they would fly into the war. It looked just like that. It said, an appeal to heaven. It had a tree on it. That even our independence, our nation was birthed from a prayer movement. You know, they say that you can go to George Washington's home and see beside his bed where there's still divots in the floor for how much time he spent on his knees before the Lord, praying on his knees on a wooden floor. And the Lord supernaturally protected George Washington. There's so many stories that they believe that he was an immortal man. Because they would, the Redcoats would plan an ambush, and there's stories of him riding up on his horse on a hillside, and 50 muskets popping up and just unloading on him, and literally shooting him, and him just riding right away. And there's even accounts of the Redcoats dropping their guns and their hats and beginning to applaud him. Because like, he would go back to his camp and shake his jacket and bullets would fall out and there would be no, not a hole in him. He was a covenant man of God. And that's what our nation was birthed out of. And so, I say all that to say is we may not see the Antichrist in our lifetime, but you will see his system at work. And for that reason, you need to believe God for independence. I believe churches, guys, we need to come together. We need to start... You may think I'm crazy, but we need to start raising our own beef. We need, to start, we need to start providing a way for us to be independent for tomorrow. If they said tomorrow, you can't go to our grocery stores. We say, we don't need your grocery stores. And you know what? When the church begins to walk... As our forefathers did, as true covenant people. Y'all, I'm going to tell you, there's a difference between a churchgoer and a covenant man or woman of God. A man or woman that walks in covenant with God every single day. It's so different. Me and Brother Tristan were talking about this, but you know, what would happen if they shut down the grocery store? Say another financial collapse, way worse than the Great Depression hit. And now people couldn't afford to go to the grocery store. Mothers that couldn't breastfeed couldn't go buy formula at the store anymore. What are we going to do? You know, I believe that that's really an hour for the church that, that walks in covenant with God to be independent, to be able to, hey, we have goat milk. We have, we, we have milk. We have all of these things that we've produced independently from them. We don't need them. You know, I want to tell you guys something. The church doesn't need the government. That's why I'm, you know, that this church actually doesn't have a 501 C3. You know why? You don't need one. You know that you, it doesn't, people think that you have to have that for people to give. No, you don't. You can even write on your taxes because it's in the constitution. There's a separation of church and state. You get a tax deduction just for giving to To what is classified as a church, not a religious organization or a a nonprofit, to a church, it's written in our tax code. Uh, I say all that to say, you know, there's so many pastors that are afraid to step up and say anything because they're going to lose their 501. You don't need a 501. Really, you don't. You get all the benefits of what you think that you get with a 501, you automatically have them granted to you, anyways, by the Constitution. And it's recognized. Amen. Amen. Let me ask anybody in this church, last year did any of you guys get to write off your tax, your, your giving donations? You did. We didn't have a 501. And they still accredit it to you. It's written in our tax code. You don't need a 501. So if there is anybody watching that's uh, you know, a, a leader or a minister, stop being afraid, because that's what they tell you, right? We give you all these benefits. And if you don't have your, your 501, then we'll start taxing the church and all this stuff. Know your rights. Stand up. They can't tax the church. It's illegal for them to tax the church. There's a separation of church and state. It's control. Exactly. And so, I said all that to say, the United States needs the church. but The, church does, the government needs the church. The church does not need the government. Amen? You know, I want to say this as well. If there is anybody in here and that you are watching and you have, you know, government assistance. I'm not saying anything condemning about it, but I'm going to say begin to set your faith for a life that does not depend on those things. Begin to set your faith for God to be your provider. And use Scriptures like we just went over in Romans chapter 4, that we have a piece of that Abrahamic covenant that God made. That your descendants shall possess the earth. Hallelujah. Y'all, I'm going to tell you, when I go out and pray, I thank God. I say, Lord, I'm not a victim of Huntington, Texas. This land belongs to me. And this land belongs to your children. This land belongs to New Beginnings Church. Because... We are the righteous, we're in covenant with you, and we shall possess the land. We shall dictate. We mentioned this in our meeting Sunday night. But you know, the Bible says that the church is the salt of the earth. Well, there's an element of preservation. That's how they preserved their food. They didn't have refrigerators. So yes, we preserve the earth. And I'll also say as well... That's why the Bible teaches that the church must be raptured. We are the thing that holds back the Antichrist from stepping into power. Because the believer has all authority over the devil. So that means that even if the Antichrist rose into power and tried to inflict all these things on the church, if the church walks in faith, they will walk in authority over the devil. That's why the, the, the seven years of tribulation can't take place till the church is removed. And what will happen is the moment that the church is removed, the preservation of the earth, the thing that preserved the earth goes with, goes with it, goes to heaven. And now there's nothing left on the earth that's preserving our nations, that's preserving our societies. And that's when the devil can wreak havoc. Uh, but not only is salt. Oh, my goodness gracious. Not only is salt for preserving, but say flavor. You know, I, I don't know, because I'm still trying to get it, but the Lord spoke this to me in prayer the other day. He said if you have a cherry lollipop what kind of lollipop is it what's well, a cherry well how do you know it's a cherry lollipop well because the flavor determines what kind it is right. i believe that the church determines what kind of community that's going to be right. the the church determines what huntington texas is not the red devil not the religious demon that's here. Not any of that stuff. Not what the government says. Not what the state says. The church sets the flavor for this community. Right. We say this is a kingdom land. Then it's a kingdom land. The devil can't stand against it. Amen. But the second that we forfeit our authority, he has the right to do what he wants. Yes, right. So say, we set, the tone. we set the tone. Well, hallelujah. I'm just going to end with that tonight. We'll finish the rest of chapter 4 next week. Lord, we thank You for Your Word. Thank You, Lord, for even interrupting us and showing us more things Uh, prophetically. You just speak by Your Spirit and lead us into more knowledge and understanding. And we're so thankful, Lord. I pray that that people would heed that. That was an active Word of the Lord. The Lord says, set your faith for land. Set, not just so you can dwell on land, but you, you use, you'll put to use the land that I give you. Begin to gain independence from the system. Set your faith to that. Believe God. And realize that you don't have to earn it. You don't have to pray 16 times a day and fast for three weeks out of the month. Receive it by His grace, by faith, the Lord says. Hallelujah, Lord, I just want to prophesy over this house. Lord, thank you this house being a a place filled with landowners. Thank you, Lord, that this house being filled with people that live on a covenant land that overflows with the good things of the earth, with the milk, with the honey, with overflowing with provision. I thank you, Lord, that the people of this house will live as covenant men, as covenant women that will walk in the blessing of, Of Abraham that we've received in Christ Jesus. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. We possess the land. We possess the land. We kick the giants out in Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. If you receive it, I want you to just say, I receive it. In Jesus' name. Amen. Well, hallelujah, y'all. God bless you guys. Thanks for coming tonight. Thank you so much for tuning in with me as I shared the word of God. If you would like to become more than just a casual listener and want to give to our ministry, you can do so in the following ways. For credit or debit, go to www.nbchuntington.org donate. For PayPal, you can send it to NBC Huntington. For Cash App, use dollar sign capital N-B-C-H-T-X-20. Thank you so much. I pray God blesses you abundantly. Until next time, this is John Wallace.